For our first message today, we have a split sermon entitled, How Important Is It? from Mr. Ken Barton. Mr. Barton. I had an actually longer title and I thought I'd narrow it down then I found out that we may be in competition for going for the largest, longest title. It was actually going to be how important is it that we follow God's word exactly? Can't there be another way? Aren't there many ways? And you know there's a whole lot of examples in the Bible so I had to start narrowing down. <clears throat> but one of the things that, that I wanted to relate to you that, that I think shows how this works in the mundane real world. Many years ago, I worked at Bama Pie for about three or four months. Had seniority on a lot of people. <laughs> people didn't last there very long. It was all very labor intensive. Now it's all computerized and folks don't have to interact. But they had me working with the fellow that was in charge of getting the dough mixed. And at that point, remember, uh, you younger folks unfortunately won't, but McDonald's had a fried apple pie that was about like that. They were good. Bama Pie made all of those. All in there at 11th and Delaware in Tulsa. So anyway, there was a, a procedure to go through to make this dough, and they, they made it in bats about this big, huge bags full of flour and bags full of everything else. And after a certain time, you were, after you put all this stuff in, there was this small amount of stuff that he called dynamite that you had to put in there. And that's what made it rise. Obviously, that was the leavening and stuff, but his term for it was dynamite. And if you put it in there, you could tell, because it would swell up. If you didn't put it in there, you could tell, <laughs> because it didn't swell up. And when it didn't swell up, you threw all that away, because there was no way to add it after, after that point. You know, that was a specific. You had to do it in order. <clears throat> there are instances in the Bible and in other writings where God gives specific instruction to people of things they are to do and where they are to do them. For instance, Abram in Genesis 12, <clears throat> starting at verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show you. <clears throat> and I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make you your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee or you and curse him that curses you. And in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I'm thinking he meant exactly what he said. That Abram was to leave his country and his family. Go to a specific place that God would show him. 
and that by doing those things, all the families of the earth will be blessed through Abram, who became Abraham. And verse 12, or verse 4, So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Doing good, right? Doing what God told him. Well, almost. In verse 1, God said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. I'm thinking Lot falls under that second line. From thy kindred. <clears throat> but God was able to work with that. God, thankfully, God is God and he can do miracles. Just think, though, how much easier it might have been for him had Abram not had to be concerned with Lot and some of the things that happened with him. So in verse 5 said, And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their substance that they had gathered and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land into the place of Sichem and under the plain of Moray. And the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence <clears throat> unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still toward the south. Later in chapter 13 we read where the land wasn't able to support both Abram and Lot's people. So they had to split up. Lot going toward Sodom and Abram going toward Mamre. There's a lot of problems that occur with Lot. We're not going to deal with those at this time, but there were problems. So then in 13 and 14 through 18. And the Lord said unto Abram after that Lot was separated from him. Lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are northward, southward, eastward and westward. For all the land which you see to you will I give it and to your seed forever. And I will make your seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth. Then shall your seed also be numbered. That's a bunch of folk. Arise, walk through the land, the length of it and the breadth of it, for I will give it unto you. I'm thinking that he did that. Doesn't really cover that, but, you know, say, oh, God doesn't really mean this. So he just took a little walk. Just think what kind of impact that may have had later. Because I know there was one instance where one of God's uh, prophets told a fellow to shoot arrows into the ground. Guy didn't realize how important that was, so he just shot three arrows. And the prophet said, ah, that's going to go bad for you. So anyway, do what God says. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of memory, which is in Hebron, and there built an altar unto the Lord. Then there was a war up where Lot lived. Abram had to go up there and rescue him, all his family and people. 
afterward God appeared to him again. I wonder if Abraham, Abram, ever thought, why didn't I just leave that kid home? Anyway, <clears throat> chapter 15, he reinforced that he was Abram's shield and great reward. Then Abram asked God, what good all that abundance is going to do him since he didn't have an heir? Hey, this is great. You're telling me all this is going to happen and everybody's, but I don't have anybody. I'm getting old. I have a, guy, a boy in the house, child of one of my servants. That's the closest thing I have to an heir right now. To which God again promised him his own descendants. In chapter 15, verse 5, God brought him forth abroad. I guess that means they went outside. And he said, look now toward the heaven. Tell the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your seed be, he told him. And he believed in the Lord. And the Lord counted it unto him for righteousness. <clears throat> but Abram wasn't quite convinced that God had it completely in hand. So when Sarai came to him, worried because she had not yet had any children yet, offered him her handmaid, Hagar, to be her surrogate mother. He agreed. Went into her. She bore Ishmael to him. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, maybe not so much. Let's see what happened in Genesis 6, 16, and we're going to switch to the contemporary English version because sometimes you get a better take. Later, when Hagar knew, starting in verse 4, she was going to have a baby, she became proud and hateful toward Sarai. And then Sarai said to Abram, It's all your fault. I gave you my slave woman, but she's been... Hateful to me ever since she found out she was pregnant. You've done me wrong. And you'll have to answer to the Lord for this. It's all your fault. Right? Glenda likes to tell me on some things. I, I, you know, I'll say, well, this happened. And she goes, you haven't gone back far enough. It's <laughs> probably really wise that Abram didn't use that line. But, you know. <clears throat> Abram said, all right. She's your slave, and you can do whatever you want with her. But Sarai began treating Hagar so harshly, she finally ran away. Then the angel of the Lord, Jesus, came to Hagar to, to work at making the most of this situation. Remember back, God works things out. Sometimes you've got to go down there personally and straighten stuff out. So we'll go back to King James Version. And the angel of the Lord found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou, and whither will you go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, submit yourself under her hands. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Again, this is Abraham, Abram's son. So there's, there's blessings been promised. <clears throat> the angel of the Lord said, Behold, you are with a child and shall bear a son and shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction and he will be a wild man. His hand will be against Every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. 
Well, that's working out well, isn't it? Yeah, again, not so much. <clears throat> so Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called his name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old. That'd be about 86 when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Then, when Abram was 99, God came and talked with him again, reiterating his promises and changing his name to Abraham. Abram was high father. Abraham is father of a multitude. There were other changes too. God institutes the covenant of circumcision with Abraham. All his male descendants as well as the males in his house and all the male slaves in his household. Being one of, of what, what do they call the, these, the movie stars or, or uh, singers that have all these folks that go with them? Retinue's not it, but anyway, be, being one of his crowd wasn't so great right then. <clears throat> God also changes Sarai to Sarah. Near as I can find, Sarai means princess, and Sarah means princess. So whenever we get there, let's ask them, what, what was the difference? But princess. <clears throat> Along with that name change, God tells Abraham that he and Sarah will have a son and that kings will come from him. And Abraham said, oh, okay. Not. Genesis 17, 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? <clears throat> and shall Sarah, that is ninety years old, bear? She's going to be mad with him when she finds out she, he told everybody her age. And Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. God's word is good. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto you at this time next year. Left off talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. I am proud of Abraham here. The other guys with him weren't, but I am. Then Abraham immediately did what God had ordered. And Abraham took Ishmael his son, all that were born in his house, all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day as God had said unto him. Abraham was ninety years old and nine when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. Ishmael his son was thirteen years old when he was circumcised. In the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son. And all the men of the house, born in the house, bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. It seems, though, that Abraham didn't share the joke about childbirth with Sarah. <clears throat> so Abraham's sitting in, front of his, or sitting in his tent, 
and Jesus and two of his angels come strolling by on their way to Sodom and Gomorrah, back to some of that Lot stuff. Anyway, he sees them and treats them to stay, rest, and eat. Then he runs, tells Sarah, fix, fix some stuff, get ready, fix some stuff. Runs out to his herd, grabs a, a calf, grabs a kid, a, a young man, and says, here, prepare this. <clears throat> then runs back to the tent where these three guys are. Pretty spry for a hundred-year-old guy, isn't he? <clears throat> well, 99. And they said unto him, starting in verse 9, uh, chapter 18, Where is Sarah, thy wife? He says, Behold, she's in the tent. <clears throat> and he said, <clears throat> I will certainly return unto you according to the time of life, and lo, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door, which was behind them. Now, in case you hadn't been paying attention, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. I got to give, give them this. They had good sense of humor. They knew when to laugh. Laughed within herself saying, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time I appoint, appointed, I will return unto you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. I'd like to see the deer in the headlight look on Sarah. Then Sarah denied, I laughed not, for she was afraid. And he said, no, nah, but you laughed. Probably not a good idea to deny something to God. I'm going to skip over Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah for this. So after the Lord's visit, Abraham and his people traveled to the southern desert around Kadesh and Gerar. I'm pretty certain that they hadn't had Isaac yet. So it seems as if Abraham lost track of God's promises to them. You see, he was worried because Sarah was a looker. And he was afraid that she was so pretty that they might kill him so that they could have her. So he, tell him, tell him you're my sister. <clears throat> Which is true. She's his half-sister. So that got him into some sticky situations and God got to come bail him out again. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, that technique of tell him you're my sister worked so good that Isaac used it. With the same guy. That's what gets me. Unless I'm misreading here. Uh, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, was in Gerar. This is, unless Abimelech was kind of like Pharaoh, and they were all named that, it's the same guy. Anyway. <clears throat> it just works better if you just do what God says and... and Trust in him. And trust me. I'm talking to me. All of this. So, 22.1, it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. 
said unto him, Abraham, Abraham says, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and get you into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now here's a time when it was very important to do exactly what God told him to do. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. Abraham said unto his young man, Young men, abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go on up and worship, and will come again to you. Speaking in faith, wasn't he? Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it upon Isaac his son, who was not a child anymore. This was a young man. He took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, here am I. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called out unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. And he said, lay not your hand upon the lad, neither do you anything unto him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your only son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and behold, behind him a ram was caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, which I believe is the Lord provides. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because you have done this thing and has not withhold not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your seed shall all the, earth, the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Now, what if instead of going exactly to the place that God had told him to go, he went to a closer mountain or even one farther away? Because I hadn't suffered enough. Say you looked one that was easier to climb or one that was harder to climb so I can prove to God how much I love him. <clears throat> or it looked really impressive and this one doesn't look godly enough. <clears throat> Isaac may well have been dead because God 
was where he told Abraham to go. And the ram was stuck in the bush where God told Abraham to go. Now, so far, God has always been able to demonstrate he was able to work things out, and quite possibly he would have here. But what if he hadn't? All over, done. God helped by specifically telling Abraham, he'd tell him which mountain that helps. <clears throat> I'm pretty certain that this exact spot, this exact same mountain, is exactly the same spot where Jesus was crucified. <clears throat> I'm going to share one more time, somebody else, where it's important Pay attention to detail. In Josephus, Antiquities of the Jews, and don't worry, it's not going to be up here. I didn't share that with Brian. In Book 11, Chapter 8, Josephus relates how Alexander, after taking Damascus and Sidon, then besieged Tyre, and he sent a message to Jadua, the Jewish high priest, demanding that provisions be sent for his army that whatever he, the priest, had been giving to Darius, the king, should now be sent to him, because he was intent on doing away with Darius. He was doing a pretty good job of it. <clears throat> he should choose, he told him, the friendship of the Macedonians and never repent of that. Of course, Darius had probably told him somewhat the same thing on his, but anyway. The problem was that Jadua was an honorable man, and he had given his word, he had given an oath to Darius not to bear arms against him. And he said he would not transgress while Darius was in the land of the living. And again, Alexander didn't take that too well. So let's continue. Upon hearing this answer, Alexander was very angry. And though he determined not to leave Tyre, which was just about ready to be taken, Yet as soon as he had taken it, he threatened that he would make an expedition against the Jewish high priest and through him teach all men to whom they must keep their oaths. So when he had, with a good deal of pains during the siege, taken Tyre, that to me says that he suffered losses. It was not an easy battle. It was not an easy conquest. So... You know, when you, when you get beat real, even if you win, if you get beat up while you're doing it, you're not in a good mood. <laughs> you're not in a, feeling good toward the guy that did not send you any help. <clears throat> so yeah, after he'd settled the affairs of, of Tyre, he came to the city of Gaza and besieged both the city and him that was governor, named Babamesis. Now Alexander, when he had taken Gaza, made haste to go to Jerusalem. He's on his way and he's kicking it. And Jadua the high priest when he heard that was in an agony and under terror as not knowing how he should meet the Macedonians since the king was displeased at his foregoing disobedience. He therefore ordained that the people should make supplication and should join with him in offering sacrifice to God whom he besought to protect that nation and to deliver them from the perils that were coming upon them. Whereupon God warned him in a dream, which came upon him after he'd offered sacrifice, that he should take courage, adorn the city, open the gates, and the rest should appear in white garments, but that he and the priests should meet the king 
in the habits proper to their order without the dread, without the dread of any ill consequences. I want you to go out there looking good. I want you to go out there confident, happy. Without the dread of any ill consequences which the providence of the Lord would prevent. Upon which when he rose from his sleep he de and declared to all the warning he'd received from God according to which dream he acted entirely and so waited for the coming of the king. When he understood that he was not far from the city he went out in procession with the priests and the multitude of the citizens. The procession was venerable. This is writing of, of uh, yeah that guy <laughs> when he under I uh, see the procession was venerable and the manner of it different from that of other nations it reached to a place called Safa which name translated into Greek signifies a prospect from that site from that site you could see both Jerusalem and you could see the temple quite a view <clears throat> and when the Phoenicians and the Chaldeans that followed him, uh, him being Alexander, thought they should have liberty to plunder the city and torment the high priest to death, which the king's displeasure fairly promised them, the very reverse of it all of it happened. For Alexander, when he saw the multitude at a distance in the white garments while the priest stood clothed, in fine linen and the high priest in purple and scarlet clothing with his mitre on his head having the golden plate whereon the name of God was engraved he approached him by himself he didn't he didn't even rush up he just got out of his chariot walked up and adored that name and first saluted the high priest the Jews also did all together with one voice salute Alexander and encompass him about. Whereupon the kings of Syria and the rest were surprised at what Alexander had done and supposed him disordered in his mind. This guy's lost his brain. He's crazy. However, Parmenio, I have no idea who Parmenio is, but he was there, alone went up to him, asked him how it came to pass that when... <clears throat> All others adored him, he should adore the high priest of the Jews. To whom he replied, I did not adore him, but that, that God who has honored him with his high priesthood. For I saw this very person in a dream, in this very habit when I was at Dios in Macedonia, who when I was considering with myself how I might obtain the dominion of Asia, exhorted me to make no delay, but boldly to pass over the sea thither, for that he would conduct my army and would give me the dominion over the Persians. Whence it is that having seen no other in that habit, and now seeing this person in it, and remembering that vision, and <clears throat> the exhortation which I had in the dream, I believe that I bring this army under the divine conduct and shall therewith conquer Darius and destroy the power of the Persians and that all things will succeed according to what is in my own mind. And when he had said this to Parmenio, Parmenio and had given the high priest his right hand, the priest ran along by him, came into the city. When he went up to the temple, offered sacrifices to God according to the priest's direction and magnificently treated both the high priest and the priests. 
Then they showed him the book of Daniel and showed him how way back then it was prophesied that he was going to be here and he was going to win the battle. <clears throat> now the thing is, both the high priest and Alexander won. Why? Because they followed exactly what God had told them to do. What if they didn't want to get in all this? This is a pain. You know, this gold plate's heavy and, and it's hot. And, you know, he'd have died. With a whole, whole different thing. So the thing is, I've shared with you two, actually several people. And those that were with him and how when they were told by God to do specific things, they did follow them. Okay? <clears throat> and it worked out. It worked out well. It worked out exactly the way it was supposed to work out. So, now that I've done that, I want you guys to consider, and you folks out there, that what God tells us to do is exactly what he intends for us to do, and perhaps we should listen and obey. Because after all, what difference could that make? 